So we turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. We've been going at this now, I believe it's 10 parts already, in just uh, the first several verses of Hebrews 11. Somebody may be wondering, when are we going to ever move on? 10 sessions, 10 morning calls, over and over and over again on Hebrews. One through, I believe, about seven verses. And someone asked the great evangelist in Britain when he's preaching, an American evangelist. I believe he was in Britain at that time. Madly used of God. He said, when are you going to stop preaching by faith? And the evangelist said, when you start believing. God knows what we need. And it's good for us to examine ourselves. If the elders obtain a good testimony, if they obtain a good report, because they have this real faith, then we need to ask ourselves, do I have the faith and is it growing? Do I have the faith and is it growing? We looked at Abel, we looked at Enoch, we looked at Noah. And we began to look at Abraham also. And regarding Abraham, the Lord has recorded things extensively about him. Not only here, but in Romans and elsewhere. When the Lord brings us into focus and begins to highlight things, the Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every testimony shall be established. And if God brings one witness of his word, of what he's speaking and he speaks another line. And many things he's speaking. We have to pay very, very close attention because he wants to impart something to us. And so we continue with Abraham. It was by faith, Hebrews 11 verse 8, that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home, go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. There's uncertainty. There's also adventure. When we walk with God, we don't have all of the things belonging or pertaining to the blueprint of our lives given to us at once. But we learn to trust the Lord in the dark as it were. And when we trust the Lord and we follow Him, we're not in the dark. As we continue to take a step, we see the light. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It starts to illuminate the way. The main question is, what is God calling me to do? And the second question is, am I going to do it? Am I doing it? He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith. For he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. 
These were men of faith. Each person had to learn to walk with God. It's a beautiful thing when God causes isolation. He did it for the Apostle Paul. The isolation that must come to every single child of God. It's not loneliness. The isolation doesn't mean absolute loneliness, but it means coming apart to be with God. So that God can train us to have that one-on-one followership. Fellowship and followership. To learn how to hear God's voice and learn how to do God's will and to establish that one-on-one. I may be with a spouse. I may with, be with a parent who trusts God. I may be with a sibling. But God wants me to have that faith matured so that even if nobody else is around, no human being, I can know confidently what God is telling me to do and I can follow Him. What a great loss if I ride on somebody else's faith. There is a sense of apprenticeship, a sense of looking to the ones who are walking with God, more mature. But God wants me to trust Him for myself. It's not to emphasize the pride from the devil to be independent and become something and have that kind of aspiration, but to know that everything God is showing me and teaching me is so that I can be dependable by God. That's an expression of faith. Real faith would cause a person to be dependable from God's point of view. How? We know God doesn't need anyone. He's self-existent. He's almighty. But as his children, he's training us to be dependable. Dependable in doing what God says to do. So that when he came to Abram, Abram had a choice. God saw him make the right choices. And we emphasize that though he was trained by God and he had fear and different things that had to be ironed out, he was a man who was essentially sold out to God. Amazing. That in the 22nd or 21st century B.C., A man who doesn't have any clue about the living God. God spoke. God didn't ask him to do something very, very easy. But he asked him to do something that would develop his faith, his dependency upon God. Because of the dependency upon God increasing through various things in his life. He could have stayed comfortable, but he launched out. When the Lord gives you a job to do. It may come directly from God if we are really following God. Barring persuasions from the devil as we said earlier. The enemy can give independent thoughts and thoughts of greatness and thoughts of getting deeper and closer with God and the separation and all kinds of confusing things because a person refuses to stay put and listen and grow. Those things can happen. But when a person really is following God than the shepherds that God has placed. God can use them. God can use them to 
lead us closer to Him so that we can become more dependable. Imagine a family, maybe a mom and a dad, maybe two or three children. And as the family is growing and the children are maturing, you have projects around the house. You have things that need to be done. You have uh, unity of purpose and dad is dependable. Mom is dependable. They know their roles and they're giving their all for the children and the family to go forward. And they look at the three children, very young children perhaps, and they know these are very young children, very immature. They're really not dependable. You can't really give them too much. But they begin to train the children. Okay, now, every week, little Johnny is going to take care of this part of the house. He's going to take care of the trash. And little Susie, you're going to wash the dishes on such and such a day. There's a training given. Not too much, but just enough to see whether the child can be dependable in his growing in loyalty and responsibility. Not just the gratification of the parents, but the good for the whole family as a unit. That I know that Johnny, when he's given things to do by a mom or dad, it gets done. And I see the child's attitude blossoming in full bloom and good maturity. Because the things aren't done grudgingly or with an independent spirit and I just have to get this over with and why are they tell me to do it? What? There's a harmonious balance there that everybody knows their role and what happens is the entire unit is like a tightly well-fitted machinery with every part working properly. Every part is dependable. And somebody talks about a lawnmower, and a person talks about a blender. We know about appliances, how we can say these appliances are reliable. And so you see on Amazon.com or various reviews or hearsay from people who use certain things, this is dependable. And we would do well to ask those who know rather than try to work it all out ourselves when counsel is available. And so in the spiritual realm, Abraham didn't have anyone. God spoke to him directly. And as he began to follow God as a pioneer, he was able to show and transfer to Isaac and Isaac to Jacob by their lifestyle, how they began to be dependable. Hallelujah. We've looked at various definitions of faith, various evidences of faith. And among the evidences is if I really have genuine faith, I will be dependable before God Almighty. When he says to do something, I follow through. It's another description of obedience. When God told Abraham to enter the covenant of circumcision, when he told him to train his household, God said, I know he'll do it. He became dependable. We can float through life and saying, look, I got the latest devotional. I attended this big fest over here with all the Christian artists. And I went over here, this great preacher's over there. 
There's a movement over there. Look what that church is doing. And we all scattered and never ever mature. Because I don't even know what maturity looks like. Never bothered to study the word. Get close to God. Or look to people who really are following God. It's all like a crowd of independent sheep banding together. Everyone with his own agenda, her own agenda. But banding together because, well, it's good to be in a group. It's far greater what God means by being in the body of Christ. What he wants to do for each of us. We get trained to be dependable. We mentioned that yesterday. God says, separate Abram from everything you know. knew. He saw the man actually take the steps, baby steps. Perhaps a little hesitation at Haran, but continued. He continued, and the adventure began. He didn't know where he was going, and he had to face, as we studied in detail in the Bible school, he needed water for his family, for his livestock. He had to make a trek along those great rivers. He had to be careful watching out for bandits and all kinds of people. How could he guarantee that he'll have enough food? He's leaving everything he knew. There's a searching of heart for sure because he's the leader. And he's taking not only his wife but a whole entourage of people, his servants, the animals, and he kept going. And God could see that he's a person who would depend upon God more and more. It's one of the ways in which we can gauge our own growth and maturity, whether when God tells me to do something, I follow through. And I do it cheerfully. There's a growth. God knows where we are. He knows everybody's internal makeup. He knows the harassment from the enemy and every block he sets up. But God shows exactly how to go right through. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. We don't have the whole blueprint in front of us. But we have the word and commandment of God. That's what we used to say often, and she still does. Life is exciting with God. He never does things in a sane, cookie-cutter type of way. He's a living God who loves us so much, and he knows exactly what we need to get us closer to him. God is dependable. Every trial that he allows, there's something he's working out within us. It would be a great mistake for us to think that trials are coming simply because I'm being obedient. And that's about it. There's something further. God is always getting us to be with him in a more intimate way. He's developing our character. He went without knowing where he was going. Why would God do that? Wouldn't it have been easier if he told Abraham, look, as soon as you step out of this land, I'm going to show you this river, that river, that mountain, this field over here. Everything's ironed out. You're going on, going on vacation. You're going on a 
short-term missions trip. The itinerary is set. You know exactly which airport to go to and you know who you're going to meet and where you're going to stay. Abraham didn't have any of that. Abraham had none of that. Would to God that we would look at our father, Abraham, Abraham, father faith, and see how he really trusted God. You know what? It's presupposed before one can trust God is one can hear God. The Bible says many noises are in the world, many sounds. We have to learn how to separate from every voice so we can really hear the living God. And once again we must say, God speaks to unify His holy people, not to separate. God is a God of unity with the foundation of truth. There's another unity. It's a satanic unity, just like the satanic copy of the Trinity. We have the dragon, the beast, which is the Antichrist and the false prophet. The Antichrist may be on the earth right now. We don't know. Everything's laid out in Revelation. There's a satanic copy of the Trinity. There's a unity with the devil. But that unity leads to evil and self-destruction. But the unity that comes from God leads to building up and edifying. And it leads to humility and growing in grace and growing to be able to hear God's voice. And it's not a unity with independent spirits and assortment. Uh, like some marriages where the marriage continues because after all it will be less beneficial if I separate. How? Financially, opportunity-wise, image-wise in society. All these wrong reasons. But when the real love is there, there's an adjustment. There's an adjustment. When we learn to adjust ourselves according to the truth of God we're able to adjust ourselves with the people of God every spiritual problem can be traced back to a disharmony with God himself that's the absolute truth every spiritual problem that an individual goes through that has to do with the person's responsibility before God can we trace back to a disharmony with God himself? When the enemy sees that somebody is game for his trickery, he closes in for the kill. As soon as he sees that pride, she sees the pride, suspicion, jealousy, pride. As soon as he sees that independent, I want to take off right now, the restlessness, he closes in for the kill and says, yes, that's right. You're absolutely right. That's exactly what you should do. Teach them a lesson. Go on. You don't need this. And so we see people drop out of school, drop out of families, drop out of jobs. There's a constant shirking off of any responsibility, any dependability, 
in that Lone Ranger Syndrome, exactly how that lion lurking in the shadows looks for that one zebra, one sheep. The lion can sense which one is weak, which one doesn't know how to stay banded together. Even if lambs, it's written, I've read about lambs and sheep, though they're not violent at all, they certainly not would not be a, a creature that we would use to seek protection through from wild animals. What I've heard is that when they see a common enemy, usually they band together, not to fight necessarily, they're not fighting creatures, but they band together because they know that oneness and the strength in numbers. And as they band together, I'm told that the sheep look at the enemy. They all turn their faces toward the enemy. A common unity of purpose. They're one mind, one heart. So a family of God in a church that know the common enemy is a serpent that's coming to cause division. I'm not letting go, no matter what friction there seems to be. I need my brothers and sisters, not just some group or organization, it's a living entity. The Holy Ghost is in a real church. And I need to be with God, need to be with God's people. And praise God, we have spiritual parents. There's a direction. And any problem that the flock has, the family has, they ought to reach out to who? The shepherds. This is the way Abram was trained in his own life. That he could trace whenever he felt low, when he felt like he's faltering, when things may be tempting to go back to the place where he had more comfort and certainty. The truth is, as he walked with God, he found out the most uncertain thing is to trust the certainty of my own senses in this world, of what I have in this world. It's the most uncertain life. Not only to trust in riches, but in familiarity. Familiar people, places, and there's a sense of control. Abraham learned I have to let go of that control. I've been trying to control my life. The devil had me lied to. And he kept saying, if you do this, you'll be, you'll be in control. You can dictate what you will do. Nobody can tell you anything. But he learned to humble himself. And Isaac, the little boy, born to him at 100 years of age, watched his father implicitly obey God to the point where he took the child to Mount Moriah and he saw the shining jewel of absolute obedience in his dad. To the point where Abraham was commended by God, where God said, I know, I know that he's going to transfer the loyalty, that loyal spirit that he has with me, to his people. If I say I believe in God, I'll be dependable. I'll be able to hear God's voice more and more as I'm trained 
to hear God's voice. I give myself to that. I can't afford to be outside of God's presence even for one second. And if I don't hear God's voice speaking to me, I'm not only in the dark, I'm in death spiritually. Because only His Word, constant supply of His Word, just like in John 15, the vine and the branches, the sap is flowing through the vitality. Everything that I need, there's a constant flow. Just like in a body, if the circulation is cut off, what happens to the limbs? There's a danger. It's not getting the supply. And what do the medical personnel do? They monitor. How long has it been? They seek to reestablish that circulation, that connection. The limbs may be attached physically through the ligaments, the tendons, the muscular tissue. But if the flow is not there, eventually that limb or that organ can die. It looks like it's connected all right, but there's a vital connection missing. It'll evidence itself in time unless the internal connection is reestablished, unless the blood is flowing. It's exactly what the devil's after. To sever people from the body that is alive and well. See, if it's a diseased body, it doesn't really matter, does it? The body's dying, the limbs are going to die. And so with sick churches, and so with sick fellowships, where people don't even know that God's not there, but they continue in the name of God doing things, worship sessions and prayer sessions, and there's no faith. It's all about empowering me and seeing what I can do, how I can manipulate God. Truth be told, that's what it is. But if it's a living church and the Spirit of God is flowing, the blood of Jesus is flowing, to separate from that will be death. And the separation starts internally before it manifests externally. Just like the branch. It's still connected, somebody says, but look, it's withering. Something's not right. But if the branch should boast, but I'm connected. But where's the manifestation of the life? Where's the health? Where's the faith? The God is up to something big. He's up to something good, something great and glorious. And I see the way into God's promised land for me is trusting Him and obeying Him. And even when He reached the land God promised Him, he didn't bail out and say, well, it's not working for me, God. Hurry up, Lord. I mean, it's been a long time. I made a journey of several hundred miles, Lord. I even went down all the way to Egypt and came back over a thousand miles, Lord. Where is the place anyway? And if this is the place, how come I'm not able to settle down? Lord, he learned. God knows what he's doing and he has a way of doing things and he wants me to stay put to listen to him, to wait upon him. He doesn't want to give me a week's plan or a month's plan ahead of time. Because what will happen is I'll think that I can make it without God because I have the game plan. I don't need to trust him every day. 
the most safest place, the most certain place, the most certain life is a life that daily goes to God. Instead of certain mightily used men and women of God, some of them prayed the first three hours of the day just in prayer, adoring God and praying the scriptures and saying, Lord, shut me down, Lord, so I can open myself up to hearing you. Too much of me is left, Lord. I need you, Lord. And as they prayed the first couple of hours in the day, there's a transformation. The things they did, even in ministry, began to be more effective. Others prayed late at night, early into the morning. Without that kind of prayer, it's like a person who is semi-conscious. What would you do with a person that's half-conscious? Whether the person in the family, whether on the job, you can see they're not at their full capacity. In fact, they can become a casualty and cause casualties, accidents. God means us to, for each of us to be fully conscious of his presence and to work toward that, which means I will call out to him continually. Say, Lord, I need you desperately. I need you, Lord. More than anything, more than anything. If I have nothing else, Lord, and I have your presence where I'm hearing you, Lord, and that hearing is proven to be scriptural and true, that it is the voice of God. You know how? It's causing me to depend upon God more, love Him more, and love His people more. There's no faith without love. I can't claim to believe God and love Him if I can't love the person who's in front of me. I can't. God said, especially your brother and sister, if you don't love them, in First John four twenty, I believe, so how can you claim to love God? You didn't even, you didn't even see Him. You say you love God and you know God. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, somebody says, I don't hate anybody. But if we hold grudges, that's a manifestation of hatred. That flow is blocked. All of a sudden I have a spiritual disease. But if I flock with people with the same disease, they say, what's the problem? That's how it is. But when the light is shined upon my actual state, I see there's a big problem. I can't go on like this. I can't be a liar before God. I can flock with a lot of people who will also lie and live a lie, call themselves Christians, but I know too much now. I know better. I can't live like that anymore. Oh God, I have a problem. I have a problem. If someone says I love God but hates a fellow believer, it can be the very spouse. I hate to be with this person. I know I'm married, but I feel I'm stuck. And how many people bail out because they feel like they're stuck? You know why? They can't do their own thing. They have no concept of submission and working things out. Someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer. Notice it's the Holy Spirit speaking through the Apostle John. That person is a liar. For if we don't love people, we see, we can see. How can we love God whom we cannot see? How seriously God takes it? 
Somebody says, Lord, anything but that. I love everybody in the world, but not that person. I don't want to be in this situation, Lord, because it's troubling to me. It demands me to shut down and become humble. That's something I refuse to do, Lord. God says that's the beginning of the Christian life. Humble myself and say, Lord, I'm a mess. Instead of playing the blame game, I'm a mess because of you and you and you and you did me wrong and that person did me wrong. Wait a minute. The peace, joy, obedience, fellowship, the faith, they're all supposed to be dependent upon God, that sap flowing from the vine. And if that's there, then every part will be healthy. And he has given us this command, those who love God must also love their fellow believers. Abram came from a society, and in those periods, the tribes would defend themselves, of course. Family honor, and they'd be vicious against the enemies. He became a man who really loved. He took care of his household. He realized that I'm a steward. I don't own anything. Even the child of my old age that I've been waiting for, I really don't own him, even though he came from my body. It's a miracle of God. And even those who have children that may not be equated with a divine miracle, such as Abram, Abraham and Sarah experienced, still a gift of God. The ownership belongs to God. I'm a steward. And God will ask me, what did you do with the child I gave you? What did you do with the spouse I gave you? What did you do with the health I gave you? I've been watching. I've been giving you things and restoring things. But are you quick to become proud and turn your back on me? And listen to the imposter. He's a crook. He's a murderer. He's a liar and a thief. That's God's description of the devil. And he causes dissension and division, evil suspicion. He causes hatred to be bred. And we have to go to God and say, Lord, I don't want anything between me and you, Lord. Please forgive me. Cleanse me. I have these feelings, these yucky, icky feelings of being what? Hurt and too sensitive. This is something, beloved, that the enemy can come to everybody with and he can try with everyone but we know this is the serpent lurking he wants me to be cut off from the fellowship as I said there are a few people that have reached out to us not only now in the past Pastor and I were speaking and praying the other day and we were tracing how in our ministry Certain people, we had a young man actually, when we had the fellowship in the home, God was working mightily, the Holy Spirit was working mightily, people's lives were being changed. And we finished the prayer and there was prophecy and wonderful presence of God. We opened our eyes, we said, where is this individual? He was right here in the, in the uh, family room with all of us. Everybody's looking everywhere. And I went to another room in the house and I saw in the dark he's sitting there on the sofa. And he's crying. I said, 
I said, brother, what are you doing here? What's wrong? And he said, everybody's praying about themselves and what we need and how we need to get close to God. He said, nobody's praying about the world. He's crying there, sitting in the dark. He left the fellowship of God's presence because the devil persuaded him. People's prayers are selfish. They're not praying for the world. And he missed out on what God was doing. How can I pray for the world and be a genuine help for the world if I'm not healthy and connected to God's body? The devil will come as a white serpent with a religious flavor and appearance, even as an angel of light. To do what? Separate. He knows, like the lion lurking in the forest. If I can just wait for that sep- a little bit of separation, I'll go and cause a permanent separation. Faith will cause us to be dependable, to be able to hear God's voice, and to be on high alert. What God has given me, the fellowship He's given me with Him and with His people, a holy people, people that there are various people who are growing at different stages and there will be a learning process and that's why we have the shepherds and the shepherds have the great shepherd. Any shepherd of any church, any shepherds, they're under shepherds. There's one great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. Inasmuch as the shepherds are connected to the Lord Jesus Christ and they're following the Lord and they're living and preaching the truth. The sheep who listen to the shepherds who listen to the great shepherd will be healthy. They'll learn. This is how I handle this. Instead of saying, I don't like this. Mom, Dad, Janie's really mean to me. I'm packing up. I'm going to get on a plane and go to the other side of the country. I love family and everything, but I can't stand my sister. So, bye everyone. We need to know how the enemy works. But you know what? There's a change in transformation. That caterpillar to become a butterfly goes through isolation. It goes through a period that appears to be nothing but dark. But that's the period in which the character is being developed. Now, when we talk about caterpillars or any creature, it's spoken of about the ants in the book of Proverbs, that they're wise people. They're not people. But they're a wise community. What do they do? They work hard and they store up for the summer. Or I should say they store up for the the time when perhaps they can't get food. They work hard during the time they need to work hard. And they work together. They band together. Because there's a common purpose they know. We need to gather now so we can be strong when the barren time comes. God gives us these examples so that caterpillar and ant has faith. Not like our faith, but we can say an instinctive faith. It's wired into them. There's some mechanism within that says that if I work now, I'll have later. They may not have a conscious thought process like human beings, but there's something going on there. They won't be doing that if they didn't have some instinctive understanding that this is going to profit me. But for us, God is transforming us all the time. 
And there's a saying, Father knows best. Applies absolutely to the Heavenly Father. When he says, love one another, that's my commandment. If you want to love me, you got to love one another. If you want to follow me, the truth is, you have to let me work on you. Don't jump off the table when I have to do that spiritual surgery or you'll continue to be sick. You'll find other sick people and you'll be a community of sick people spiritually, but nobody's going to get anywhere. But the growth, we heard of this phrase, growing pains. The growth can cause some friction and pain, but when all is said and done, the family is healthy, the body is healthy, there's an overall growth. God fostered this faith that works by love Abraham, our father of faith. He understood how to listen. And God taught him, listen to your wife. She's telling you to do something, listen to her. And vice versa. Sarah herself, listen to Abraham. A beautiful submission. Godly submission. Not a submission, let's go do something wrong, let's go independently, God so told us to do this, but it will be okay. No. My spouse is listening to God. My fellow brother or sister, they're really listening to God because I see they're getting closer to God. And this is the intent of what they're doing. They may be a little rough on the edges, but my ultimate comfort, the one I rely upon, is God himself. And could he be speaking through my shepherd? Could he be speaking through my fellow brother sister? We're not called to listen to everything anyone says, but to check it against the word of God. If somebody says you ought to humble yourself, that's a good thing. I can never get too much of that. Jesus said, learn of me. Look at me. I'm meek and lowly in heart. Oh, God. You're lowly in heart? God of the universe? Lowly in heart? So humble? Jesus, teach me to be more like you. Because if I'm not, I'm going to lose out on everything you have for me. Peter said after the resurrection, Lord, what shall this man do? What's up with him, Lord? Jesus said, mind your business. You do what I told you to do. If I want him to do this or that or live, what's it to you, Peter? You, you can follow me. And what is God saying to us? Humble ourselves greatly in the sight of the Lord and in the sight of man. Humility is the pathway to greatness. Humility is the pathway to life. It's not just, if I'm really, really humble, I'm going to become CEO. May or may not be, but that's not really the point. The ultimate thing is, if I'm not humble, what's going to be there is pride, and pride comes before the fall, always. A caterpillar in isolation has some kind of instinctive faith the period will be over and the butterfly will come out. Faith will cause me to stick to God's counsel. Faith will cause me to be humble and love. Faith in God and believing in an invisible God is manifested also by loving the people I can see who are right with me. Right around me. And once again, when we have role models, 
when we have leaders, if they're following God, there's a consolation, isn't it? In a family, if the children have problems, there's a consolation. I can go to mom or dad. If mom or dad had the wisdom to teach me how not only to cope, but to have hope that things will be ironed out. If I just listen to them and do what they say. She's throwing her things all over my room. He's not cleaning up after his mess. And they're not leaving me the last piece of food there in the refrigerator. They're not sharing and caring. So mom, dad, I'm going to do the same thing to teach them a lesson. The wise parent will say, no, that's not the way. You be Jesus to your brother or sister. But, but this is what the Lord says. Don't repay evil for evil, even perceived evil. Many times the devil playing games in the mind. When things aren't even true, he brings a thousand and one imaginations and evil suspicions of why someone did what they did. We need to know the culprit, the devil is the one who comes to divide and conquer. Don't let him in. Peter said, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times, seven? I said, a lot of times, 49 times, Lord. That's a lot of times, Lord. I know you're merciful, so I'm just throwing it out there as a pretty big number, right, Lord? The Lord said, Peter, I don't tell you seven times seven. Seventy times seven. God's heart is big. It's full of love and grace. And God believes that when he says something, it'll happen. And when we obey what he says to do, it'll happen. And he calls us to join him. Because if, I, because if I forgive and if I let go of the hurt and I bring it to my Father in Heaven and after telling Him how I feel and what's been done or what I think has been done and say, Lord, I really don't know everything. I can't read people's minds and hearts and their circumstances. I may know of measure and if God gives revelation to a prophet or prophetess, yes, they may know the whole thing. But normally we don't know and we can make a lot of mistakes and false judgments for which we'll be held accountable if every idle word would be given account to God for, how much more false accusation, bitterness and grudges, oh my God, I can appear before God while I think I'm a Christian and He sees the devil in me. My responsibility is to say, Lord, I don't want to have this. If faith works by love, I've got to have your love. And if faith means being dependable, Lord, in the dark, I've got to trust you. I've got to trust, Lord. And Lord, if you're given Isaac, Abraham, if you're given Jacob, Isaac, you've given leaders, Lord, who really trust you. I've read so much on leadership, not only doing the doctorate, but I see Paskirba, and she's doing her advanced studies. We're just sick of that term, leadership the way the world defines it in many Christians. Christian, that is, groups, is the end thing. You know, I want to be a leader. And this is what a leader looks like. And there's a biblical definition of leadership. And people even go into the Bible and they take out things and they twist it and 
It all ends up with self-empowerment and big smile, the image, jokes and clever, wits, witty stuff. You don't see the Lord like that. You don't see the Apostle Paul like that, Moses like that, Elijah like that. It's all about popularity, image and stories, you know, lots of anecdotes and lots of, it's just sickening. I've read many, many books, graduate studies, in the course of studying for the degree and even in theology, theological schools. And I've learned one thing. As these books just abound, not only in the secular world, and many people in secular businesses and education, they've come to the Bible to take out principles here and there, never surrendering to the Lord Jesus. What a shame and a whole lie. To think that I can glean things from the way Jesus lived and the way he did things and make it into a course, Leadership 101. Never follow the Lord and surrender in humility to the Lord of life. In order to be a good leader, I need to be a good follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Moses never went to leadership school. But he spent time in the holy presence of God. Elijah never went to such a school. Spent time with God. Elisha had a role model of a man who spent time with God who was taken by chariots of fire right into heaven. But Elisha also learned by being in God's presence. Elisha was an independent. He didn't say, I've got the mantle. Now I'm going to go establish my own ministry. No. God established him. And God continued the work he did through Elijah and Elisha to speak to the people and do the miracles. To be a good leader, a real leader, to lead my son, if you have a son, to lead my daughter, if you have a daughter, to lead my spouse, if you have a spouse, to lead your friends, if you have friends, into everlasting life. Life worth living, not wasting money and resource and energy being a fool. To say, you know, I messed up big time in my life. I did a lot of things that I really regret. And I'm going to lead my child to the green pastures as I follow the good shepherd. I'm going to lead my people to really know how to obey God because I've transformed my way of thinking and become humble so Lord speak to me and I want to be in that isolation with God not isolation away from the body of Christ but while I'm in the body of Christ there's a seeking of God early late at night in the middle of the day there's a cry after God's heart saying Father I need you I love you I want your presence I can't live without you Lord if you don't speak to me I die speak to me Lord and I live Keep speaking to me, Lord, and I get stronger and healthier spiritually. And help me to humble myself to be able to hear your voice. Abraham had all these ingredients. We talk about the three main things, separation, consecration, perseverance, but there are a lot of details involved. 
He was a man who became dependable. God's asking us, are you dependable? God is asking us, can I, you can trust me, can I trust you? So when I tell you to do something, when I say to forgive, you can forgive. How long does it take you to forgive? That'll show how a person is maturing or not. And do you know how to submit? Or are you independent? Are you eager to speak more than to listen? Oh my God. Isn't that in James somewhere, Lord? Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Where has that gone? Spending time in God's presence, listening to Him, is not simple, empty meditation, assuming a posture and just hours pass by. We're at an establishment. It was actually a teen challenge. One day, Pastor and I walked in to that place We've been to many across the country. And I, we asked the leader, what's going on here? They had a screen set up. And a bunch of the students there in the sanctuary, and they were just having their hands up, some kneeling, some crying. And uh, what was on the screen was a live telecast or simulcast from another gathering somewhere. They're supposed to be worshiping together. There are a lot of worshipful noises, quote-unquote, and a lot of time, hours. We learned that the people, some of them were staying there for hours. And we thought, knowing their lives, knowing the people, how shallow they are, how independently minded, how lighthearted they are with the things of God, how defeated they are in their own lives, because... They've come to us for prayer and confessed a lot of things that even their leaders didn't know there. This is true. God is a witness. We thought, what a waste of time to sit there and the song that was playing was not even really a song. It was like a drone kind of continuous moaning and this is what they thought was worship, getting in the presence of God. Getting in the presence of God is not playing something, getting in some kind of mood. Saying I worship for three hours. Letting God give me a checkup, full checkup. Because in His presence, nothing is hid. And He diagnoses, you have a problem over here, let's fix it. And if you don't let me fix it, you can't worship me. And we heard last evening, What's acceptable to the Lord is far different than what we may think is acceptable. But how will we ever know until we come to God's word and come to him and say, Lord, teach me. Show me. Abraham had all this. He didn't have it all when he started out. But he learned how to humble himself, learn how to go step by step so that he can follow God, believing. Even though he didn't have the full blueprint in front of him, he did follow humbly. As he followed, the beautiful thing happened. He became a butterfly, from a caterpillar to a butterfly. Faith was so profound that the man could actually believe against hope, it says. Against everything that militated against hope. 
he stood. My body's like it's dead. My wife's also. But God told me he's going to do something. I'm living holy. I'm living humble. I'm living in love. I know how to obey God. I know how to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. God's working with me. All of a sudden he became a butterfly. But there was a process. So really it wasn't all of a sudden. Faith, deep humility, a deep love, a deep opening up to God when I come to His presence and say, Lord, I'm not only here to give you something, but I'm here to receive from you, Lord, that which will make me to give you the best. Make me meek, gentle, lowly in heart, Lord. I have some rough edges still. Lord, there are things that are not resolved. And if I take off and go do something, even ministry, without this resolved, I'm just going to be spreading something that's not only not going to help others, but it's going to damage them. Paul was isolated for a number of years with Jesus Christ before he launched out. We need isolation in the context of the body of Christ not by physical separation or by looking elsewhere as Pastor was said by the Spirit of God several times looking for food elsewhere when God is giving the food here I become malnourished I become a junkie I will not even know what's good and bad I need Behold, to behold. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land, God promised him he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. When it got difficult, he didn't bail out. And so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. In other words, they didn't see it come to pass. All of a sudden, I'm settled in this land. But you know what? They had God's word. You got it. You passed the test. Hallelujah. You have the receipt, the evidence of things not seen. Glory be to God. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. It was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. She believed that God would keep his promise. And so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead. A nation with so many people that like the stars in the sky, the sand on the seashore, there's no way to count them. Even the other day, as we went out to throw out something, as I told Joseph, our youngest, a few days before that, about the stars, looking at them, and I told Daniel as we went out, I said, look at the sky. I said, the more you look at the sky, the more stars appear, seems seemingly, because our eyes are getting adjusted, and it just seems to not stop. Who can number the stars? Who can number the sand on the seashore? 
God told Abraham, that's how your descendants is going to be when he didn't even have one. God is telling us, I'll make you fruitful. I will make your life glorious. You will shine like the stars forever. God promised that. Follow me. Do you know what my voice sounds like? Are you sure? Let me train you. Stick with me. And as you hear me clearly, do exactly what I say. And I will make you glorious forever. I can never go wrong by saying, Lord, the level of humility you're talking about, the transformation you're looking for, getting closer to you, involves people. The way I handle people, Lord, your people, is a reflection of how I'm handling you, treating you. And Lord, change me. Help me to know that there's no such thing as a real faith without love, God's faith, God kind of faith, that humility. And I want to be dependable, Lord. Think for a moment, brother, sister. What did God ask you to do? What's the latest thing he told you? What's the first thing he told you? This is what life is about. As we close, Joshua 1 eight. Would somebody please turn to that and read that for us? Joshua 1 8. This this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall have good success. Praise God. And someone please read the next verse. Joshua chapter 1 verse 9 and maybe Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous do not be afraid do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Praise the Lord. Now the reason we read both verses is this. Many people love to jump on the promises and get empowered and feel all fired up. Look what God says. Be strong. Be bold. You can't lose. God is for you. If God is for you, who can be against you? One with God is the majority. God says, Behold, I've given everything, every place that you sole of your foot treads upon. And God did it for Abraham. And Just go on the merry way with all these songs and slogans taken from the Word of God, but totally out of context. The command and the promise that God is with you wherever you go, be strong and courageous, don't be afraid, has a foundation, and that is studying God's Word, listening to His voice, and obeying what He said, meditating on it day and night, for the intent not of memorization or passing a test, the sense of some course, 
and saying, Lord, you keep telling me to love like I never loved before. And you're showing me that love is a holy love and it's a love of humility and it's a faith that works by love. Oh, all of this word of God, Lord, what's it doing to me anyway? Just have some jumble of verses and even if I categorize them so I can be an evangelist, what's the use if my heart has not become more humble like Jesus, my Lord? If I'm not become holy, if I'm still a lone ranger, if I still come together as a business kind of mindset, you know what, let's see what I can get from here. But I call the shots. I'll pretend to be submissive, but I'm really not interested in what other people have to say. My slogan is, don't tell me what to do. Don't preach at me. Don't even preach to me. Spread the buffet out. Now pick and choose what I like. And I'll determine whether I want to eat or not. God says, here's the food. Study this book of instruction continually, the book of the law. I want you to chew on it. Meditate means to chew. Day and night. How do we do that? Well, God's been speaking about dependability. Am I dependable? I know how to be dependable on the job. If I don't, I'll lose my paycheck. I know how to be dependable in the community. If I don't, I may not have the neighbors to back me up when I need them. When it comes to God, I can manage. God is so good. Is that going to strike me down because I'm not dependable today? The truth is I'll be dying spiritually. But if I'm keen on being dependable by God's standards... If he can depend upon me to pick up the word and to read it and say, Lord, I surrender. Everything you tell me to do, I'm coming to the point that when I read the word or hear the word, I'm ready to do it. And I follow through. I meditate. Study. Obey. Only then you will prosper and succeed in all you do. God is not a God of failure. But I need to know success in Christ is dependent upon me staying connected to Him by receiving His life through His Word, doing it, being a healthy branch, flourishing, and you know what? Bearing a lot of fruit to the glory of God the Father. This is the faith that God commends and the promises that I can be excited about. The prophecy, the future, all predicated dependent upon my dependability from God's point of view of carrying out his instruction everything then I'll make my way prosperous of good success Abraham was extremely prosperous not just materially he was spiritually rich so much that we are called by God the Holy Spirit writing through the apostles in the New Testament children of Abraham by faith the seed of Abraham through Christ let's follow
the faith of those who have gone before and those who are with us. Who love God and prove it by obedience. And they grow and they overcome. And uh, there's a steady ascension in the spiritual life and greater fruitfulness. They allow themselves to be pruned by God. They can bear more fruit. It takes humility, doesn't it, to give ourselves to the pruning. Let's stay in God's presence. Let's stick together and obey God. This is faith. Shall we pray? Thank you for working, Lord. You're wonderful, wonderful, Lord. Work, transformation. I thank you, Lord, that it's never boring, Lord, to walk with you. It's the most exciting thing. And we're never in the dark as to how to grow in faith. You've laid it all out for us. And my Father, I thank you that faith is what stimulates prayer. Genuine prayer. It sees the result. Because I'm talking to the one who has all the power in the universe. The most gracious and compassionate one. He does chasten me when I need it. But he does in his loving kindness, not in his hot displeasure. And thank you, Lord, for bringing us this morning to face your word and let your word change us even more. And Lord, I thank you that you don't come to discourage us like the devil does, but you come to encourage us. Not only to say it's not over, I'm still working on you, but to say that we can do much more to let God's work in us flourish. But believing that even if it seems to be counterintuitive, quote-unquote, even if it seems to be against my nature, against what I'm feeling, even if it doesn't make sense, Lord, I'll just do as you say. I will forgive. I will love. I will repent. I will reach out. I will stay put. I will meditate on your word. I will obey your word. I'm called a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a chosen generation, special treasure. I trust you enough to do what you say and follow through. Thank you, Lord, for reinforcing the very thing we need to be successful today in your eyes. That's all we want, Lord. And to continue to be successful, to become that butterfly, to become that eagle, Lord, that waits upon the Lord, a man or woman, who knows the strength like the eagles, mounts up with wings, run and not grow weary, walk and not give up, not faint. But Lord, like the champion athlete, forgetting everything, everything that's behind me, reaching forward with every bit of energy, striving for the goal and attaining it because God said, you will make it. I'm for you, not against you. And I see you believe me because you're following what I told you to do. Thank you, Lord, for giving us all that we need. 
Hallelujah. To defeat Satan at every turn, that prowling, lying, lion and serpent. Listen to the Good Shepherd. Thank you, praise you, Lord. Thank you for your deliverance. I pray that you certify and you, Lord, confirm the word that you've given this morning with signs and wonders, Lord. And the people who listen will experience healing in their minds, in their souls, in their bodies. In Jesus' name, I thank you for it. You're faithful, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.